Welcome to Integrity Inspire, your daily dose of inspiration and motivation, featuring the bright and talented members of the Integrity Marketing Group family. Now, here's your host, Integrity co-founder and CEO, Brian W. Adams. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Inspire Podcast. I'm so excited to be back with you and sharing some more incredible stories. At Integrity, we've partnered with some truly unique people and some amazing stories that just inspire all of us. And I'm so excited to now welcome a new partner to the Integrity family. And I'm so happy to have their founder and CEO, Jordan Lowry, here with us to share his story. His company's named Legacy Protectors Life Group, and they've built just an amazing organization based in Sarasota, Florida. And I'm so excited to welcome you to the Integrity family, man. Thank you, Thank you for joining us, man. This is exciting. We've known each other for a while, and I've gotten to see you continue just to achieve so many great things in the insurance business. And I'm so honored that you're partnering with Integrity now. Now, tell us a little bit about your company and what you guys have built there. Yeah, well, Legacy Protectors, we mainly focus on simplified issue life insurance, things that issue fast. But really, our company was built on service. It was really built on treating people with respect and treating the clients that we serve like they were our family, you know, because I was in the industry previous to starting here with my own company where I was captive and I didn't feel like we were really treating the clients like they were our family. Maybe it was one product or was this or that. And when I looked and I thought about my grandparents, my grandpa or my grandma, I thought not everyone should get the same thing. And so it was really built on service, serving the client, putting the client first, because I knew if we put the client first that everything else would take care of itself naturally. I love that. I talk about our core values here at Integrity all the time. We've got five core values. In fact, right on the wall outside here, it's about integrity, it's about doing the right thing, even when nobody's watching, right? It's about family. It's not only about, we're working really hard to provide for our own families. It's about for the integrity family. All, and that's why every time I start off a podcast, anytime I start off a call, even on emails, I say integrity family. And then it's about serving American families. And I just believe that what we provide to families throughout the country is so vital. And it's also about leaving a legacy, especially when it comes to life insurance. They say leaving a legacy is like planting a tree that you know you'll never set under its shade. And that's kind of like life insurance. A lot of times when you buy life insurance, you may not benefit from it, but you know your family will. And it's about this idea of leaving that legacy. And so I love the name of your company for that reason. I also love the purpose that you have of serving more people. And for me, it's all about service. We talk about this all the time. We are not a sales organization. We're a service company. And if we serve enough people, the sales will take care of themselves. That's a byproduct. It's about respecting others. And that's about partnership. It's about bringing more people together with those same core values, with that same like-mindedness so that we can go out and serve even more people. And so I'm excited when I hear things like what you're building at Legacy Protectors, because that's exactly what we're building here at Integrity. And we're super excited to be able to support you with more products, more technology, more support, more resources to even serve more people. Now, you're a young guy, you've built an amazing organization, and you've got a really young team that you're continuing to serve. What's your average age of your agent? I would assume at about 27 years old. 27 years old. So, I mean, 
this is one of the things I love about partnering with guys and gals like you, is you're bringing in young, dynamic people into this industry, teaching them about this noble profession. I, I truly believe this is one of the most noble professions that there is. Couldn't agree more. Um, it's, it's, we're serving people fundamentally and helping them plan for their legacy. And it's interesting. I talk about this a, a lot of times. My wife hates this example. But so my, my wife was born in 1981. That, that's at the beginning of the millennials, okay. right? So that's at the very beginning. And so if you look at millennials, I think millennials get a bad rap. Uh, in in a lot of ways. More. People say that they're lazy, self-entitled, all these things, right? They don't um, want to work. They don't want to work. The truth is, and I, I, I believe this wholeheartedly, they want to have a purpose. And maybe more than most other generations before them, they want to have a purpose in what they do. And so that's why you've seen so many amazing brands that have come out where it's you buy one and you give one, where it's like Tom shoes. And you know people just flock to that brand because they had a purpose. If I bought this pair of shoes, then they give another another pair. If you think about Bombas, I met the CEO of Bombas. Bombas is the underwear company, underwear and socks, where if you buy a pair of underwear or socks, then they give a pair of underwear or socks to homeless people. And people just flock to that type of brand because People want to have a purpose. And so the, the reality is, is I believe, that especially the millennial culture, is they want to be having a purpose and not sitting in a, a desk all the time, not you know going the traditional nine to five. And what other industry has the purpose that this industry has that gives back? Now, listen, I think giving shoes is really important. I think giving underwear and socks is really important. But we're giving people hope for the next generation. We're providing the funds, especially in businesses like yours, to make sure that their final expenses are taken care of, or that if something, God forbid, happened, their mortgage could be paid off, or that their family could replace lost income. And when you combine that purpose with the young, dynamic, sharp, smart workforce that you guys are creating and, and recruiting, and you show them how they have a bigger purpose, man, the sky's the limit. So how do you find people like that? And what is your key to recruiting them and showing them this opportunity that's ahead of them? I think the key is in social media, number one. Second is just the places that you are. I always have a saying is be where you are. Be where you are, meaning, you know, people ask me a lot is, you know, where do you recruit or who are you recruiting or how do I find people to recruit? And I think the key is just be where you are, right? Being aware of what's going on in your surroundings, in places you're eating or people that are serving you or things you like to do because there's people all around you. And so just being very aware of those types of people, jobs that I've had, you know, whether it was caddying, whether it was working in restaurant in the restaurant business or things like that is just as you said is people want to have a, a passion for what they're doing. They want to be, they want to know why they're doing it, but they want to be passionate about it. On my Instagram, it says, I, I don't hold a job. I hold a passion. I never hold a job, that. just a passion. I think just oh. being where you are when you're recruiting. So whether that's at a restaurant where, you know, it's, there's never been a time where I've felt like in insurance where if I needed to make more money, I couldn't go out and serve another family, yeah. but you can't control who comes 
into your restaurant. You can't control who comes into your, you know, your valet desk to make more money. And so when there's people out there who are young kids and they say, I want to be successful. I want to be able to make more money. I want to be able to support my family. The life insurance business puts no cap on their income. If they need more leads, we can get more leads. Yeah. And so it's really exciting. No one can put a threshold or a ceiling on you. You can really get what you need. And I just think being where you are, you know, doing more things you like to do. It's like, what do you, what do you like to do? I don't really do much. Well, that's why you're not recruiting. You know, <laughs> like you have to be to, to recruit, you have to attract and to attract, you have to be happy. So you have to do things you want to do and recruit those types of people. Man, listen, I think the key to being successful is what you just hit on. I don't believe I work at all. Look, I work really hard, so don't get that contradicted there. But if you have a passion, if you have a purpose, then it doesn't feel like work at all, right? And when you talked about you don't have a job, you don't have a profession, you have a passion. People with a passion, there's no limit to where they can go. And I love that point. How did you get recruited into this industry? I was dating a girl at the time and she was watching a, a good friend of mine from high school was posting a lot on social media about, you know, come sell insurance, make X amount a day, this, this and this. And at the time I was caddying, I was driving Uber as well and I was broke. I was broke. I could afford the bills and that was it. And so when the girl I was dating at the time, we were living together and we'd sit down and she'd be, she would say something like, hey, you should, you should call Michael and see what he's doing. And I was like, I'm good. And at the second or third time, you should call this person. And it's like, I'm good maybe. Being broke. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, it was a defense mechanism, right? Yeah, no, sure. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. And so I, I finally, after, after seeing him post another time, is maybe I should check out the life insurance business. I never wanted to be in life insurance because I didn't know anything about it. But when you're making sales and you're sitting with a family, why would you not want to push them to buy more? Yeah. You know, and so it was through a warm market, through someone I knew from high school I hadn't talked to in really four or five, six years. But I saw what they were doing. I thought, if this person can do it, why can't I do it? Yeah. And then luckily enough, I, and I, I'm so grateful that I knew Grady Polson for seven, eight years previously. I love Grady. And he called me and he said, hey, you have to take a look at what I'm doing, right? And the light bulb really went off that not every family was the same, not and that we could be a broker and that the license I already had, I didn't have to go get another license. See, I, I thought like similar to real estate, like you had to be in the business for this long, you had to, to take another test. And he's like, you're good, you can be a broker now. And the light bulb really went off and I just hit the ground running with, with the products that we offer and just started going to work. Mortgage protection, final expense, burial, cremation. You know, my grandmother had a stroke and she was living with my mom and dad for six years. Lost all of her speech, couldn't talk. And we're really close. We were really close. And when the company I was with initially wouldn't, wouldn't give her life insurance and someone came in and, and was able to give her life insurance, it was literally like the same month I had met with Grady. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I'm, I'm missing the boat here. Yeah. And so I knew that if I just put serving people, I was never worried about the commission each product paid. It was just about how can I help you? How can I get you protection? Yeah. And who is this for? Who are we protecting today? There's so much to what you're talking about that I can relate to. I, I grew up in a small town in West Texas and my parents owned funeral homes. And I remember seeing that all growing up, the fact that people didn't plan for the inevitable. And the, the reality is, is 100% of us are gonna die, right? But then people don't plan for that. And I remember just always thinking that was strange in a lot of ways. And then in college, I was working at Eddie Bauer. I couldn't, I wasn't smart enough or, or good looking enough to get on a gap or the buckle. So I was at Eddie Bauer and I was a guy who was like folding shirts. 
man, listen, if you need some shirts folded, I, I can do those really fast because you just had to, like, people come in, like, mess stuff up, and then you got to fold them and stack them back. And honestly, I hated it. I was like, this is this is not the best job. But this guy came in, super sharp guy, and a guy named Gary Adcock. I'll never forget, he's wearing this, this light gray suit, red tie, white shirt. He starts talking to me, and just... Just like you, just sharp, really dressed, really nice guy. And he said, man, you're really good with people. Do you like what you do? And I, I you know, folded like 400 shirts that day or <laughs> pants and everything. And I go, yeah, I enjoy people. I like being here at the mall. I don't love doing this all day. I was making $5.10 an hour. And man, I thought I was, you know, making it. He said, well, you ought to come work with me sometime. I said, what are you doing? He said, I sell life insurance. I said, man, listen, I grew up in a funeral home, and I don't understand why more people don't have life insurance because everybody's going to die. Why aren't we providing that coverage? Why aren't more people getting that coverage? He goes, you ought to come, come ride around with us sometime. So just by him saying, you, you look like you're pretty good with people. You should come look what I do. It opened up this, this opportunity and it changed my life forever. It changed a lot of people's lives, frankly, uh, because of that. And it, it was for me where I found my purpose, that passion, because the first sell that, that and I, I say sell because I don't believe we sell anything. I believe we serve people. And if we serve people enough, then all the sales will take care of themselves. The money will take care of themselves. That's all a byproduct. But my first person I helped, I was like, oh my gosh, man, her family is going to be taken care of. And just that passion that followed, followed that for me was just so important. And, and then finding, yeah, I was I was in college. So I was I, probably 20, I don't know, I'm trying to think of what year that was, probably 20, 21. And then, man, you find your purpose. And, and I think that there's so many more young people, just like you and, and, and what I was, and the team that you're recruiting, that we need to tell the story to. And I want to be able to tell that in an effective way so that we make it even more attractive for them. Because if, if you find somebody who has a servant's heart, then you change the world. Now, speaking of being young, you were like a legit athlete at an early age. In fact, I, I saw that as a kid, you were number four in Arizona playing golf. And then you ultimately went on to University of Kansas and played golf. Tell us about your passion for golf. Well, it's a game that really taught me a lot about life, taught me a lot about business indirectly I didn't know at the time. I grew up playing, you know, junior golf, high school golf, was recruited to some schools all over the country, Houston, University of Kansas, Indiana, a school in another school in Indiana, Evansville. And actually, ultimately, I thought that I wanted to be a golf coach. I thought mm -hmm. I wanted to build a team, recruit, travel, teach young, you know, talented players to really get the best out of it. I was never the best golfer as a younger kid, 10, 11, 12, 13, but I always worked really hard on my short game. I was, I would go to school every, you know, I'd, I'd take my clubs to school. I'd go, I'd go to the chipping green. My parents would be, would be two, three hours till they'd get done with prep and teaching. And mm -hmm. I'd literally just be there working, working on my game. And it taught me that you don't have to be the biggest or the most talented, you don't have to hit it the furthest, but if you just work, if you just grind, if you just practice, that you can really get more you know, out of yourself than you have to. And it taught me a lot about integrity too, business-wise. Like when you play golf with someone and when whether you're playing for nothing or you're playing for a dollar or you're playing for $5 or whatever it may be, is you know, can you trust this person? Mm. Do they cheat? 
Do they have integrity? Is this someone I want to be in partnership with? So the game has really taught me a lot. You get bad breaks from good shots. I mean, you mm. can hit a dart from 160 yards, hit a nine iron, an eight iron. It can hit the flag and bounce in the water. Yeah. I mean, you just never know. Yeah. Or you can hit a terrible shot. You can roll it all the way to the green and tap it in for par or bogey, right? Yeah. And so it's a lot like life. You can get good breaks from bad shots. You can get bad breaks from good shots. But over the course and consistency of time, it's going to work out. Yeah. You know, the variance is going to be there. So. It's just such an incredible game. It's generational. My grandfather played before he passed away. He was a, a big golfer. My dad was my high school golf coach. My wow. dad produced six Division One golfers in, in the course wow. of three years. And he wasn't a swing coach. He wasn't a talented golf coach, but he was really good at getting the best out of people, whether it was short game, wow. whatever it was. You know, it's just a great game. You can play it forever. That's awesome. Now, I understand you've played with some really amazing people, but one of them was Arnold Palmer. Tell us about that story. I was 14 years old at the time, I, you, so, I believe. So you're 14. Did you know who he was? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you, you, so oh, you, yeah. You followed it. You... So I wasn't alive when he was playing, obviously, but I knew Arnold Palmer. I knew Jack Nicholas. I knew the big yeah, players. Yeah. But this was the time when the tour was mostly dominated by Tiger Woods and David Duvall and VJ. Right. But my dad, he goes, hey, you're going to be pulled out of school today. I go, what do you mean? He goes, we're driving out to the west side. We're playing in this tournament. And it was sponsored by one of the home builders at the time and it was just a scramble we went out there we drove out there and there was only like 23 or 24 teams there and we won the tournament and the prize was they actually flew us we each got a guest so my dad brought my mom and I flew my grandfather down to Orlando Florida and we got to play in the father-son challenge of the, the PGA Tour. It was the Del Webb Pulte father-son challenge. And this was in 2006, I believe. And there was a random drawing for who you'd get to play with. We knew there was like 80 teams. So it was either a tour player or a, a previous tour player and either their son or their grandkid or whatever. And random hors d'oeuvres, well, we're talking hors d'oeuvres, we're talking like prime rib, we're yeah, talking the real deal. And the random drawing comes out and we get Arnold Palmer and Sam Saunders. And Sam was playing at Clemson at the time. You know, I was a freshman at this time. I had just started freshman year in high school. And, you know, it was just unbelievable from him handing us the Bay Hill pin on number one to him singing and just enjoying and just seeing my grandpa get to ride along with them. And it was just an Arnold Palmer was singing. He was singing. Well, yeah. like just just like walking around, <laughs> just singing. walking around, just singing, just enjoying the, the day. Yeah, oh it was God. it was just the most incredible experience. And the way that the one thing that that I left with wasn't like. It wasn't his golf game that impressed me. It was the way that he treated every single person around from the patrons to the staff to my grandpa to my dad to my mom to me. And, you know, it was nine holes with Arnold and it was a memory I'll never forget. I have the picture in my office. Dude, that's amazing. Uh, it was just an incredible experience. What a, what a great story and what a great example for a young man to see somebody who is a legend, like a living legend, and he's treating everybody with respect. Right. I mean, that is such a cool thing. Now, you mentioned caddying before. Right? I know you were a caddy for a while and you've, you've caddied for some really impressive people as well, including Mark Cuban, I understand. Yeah. So Mark Cuban and his family. So I actually was caddying for his mom, Shirley Cuban. I caddied for her for a full week. Was she good? 
She was excellent to caddy for. We didn't lose one ball. That's Let's just awesome. say it didn't go far enough. <laughs> but just the sweetest lady. She had lost her husband, I believe, a year before this. And they were out. Mark had had Shirley out to Scottsdale, Arizona. So I was caddying in Arizona in the winters. And I was caddying in Wisconsin in the summers. And he had her out there for a week. She was staying at just one of the most premier resorts, just an unbelievable place. And after I finished caddying her for the first day, the second day, and she's like, can you be with me all week? And can my son write you a check at the end of the week? I'm like, absolutely. Like, whatever you need. So you did know? you know who she was? At the time, I didn't know who she was until yeah. two days, three days into it, you know, because you, you, when you see the tea sheet or whatever, you don't necessarily... Yeah, you can't you, put that together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so and just getting to know her over seven days, you know, caddying and spending time with her. And she passed away, actually, I believe in oh. 21. Uh, but just the most incredible lady. But caddying for whether it was the Cubans, whether it was, you know, the Ricketts family, it didn't matter who it was. I just met the most unbelievable people, whether they were business owners or lawyers, professionals. None of them were alike. They were all like-minded, but none of them were the same, if that yeah. makes sense. How, how did caddying influence your career decision? The biggest thing was just seeing people who were at a golf course that I never thought I'd be able to afford to play yeah. and, be a, and bring guests. Because for me, it necessarily wasn't about playing those courses. It was about being able to bring my family or my community, yeah. bring my tribe to play a course like that. When I got to be around people that were successful, I realized that if they could do it, that I could do it too. Yeah. It really wasn't that, wasn't that thing. It wasn't that difficult. So I actually was studying for my life, health and accidental license in the caddy shack. Like I, like guys would be playing solitaire and be playing chess and poker and getting ready for their loop. And I was literally in, I was literally studying in Scottsdale and true North in the caddy shack under the table, just waiting for my loop and now extra hour here an extra hour there. And you know, that's where I put in the most work because I didn't want to be there anymore. Yeah, I'm not a golfer. Anybody who's ever played with me understands that they would say amen to that. I think golf teaches you a lot about life. I mean, some of the things you were just talking about, about you know, you've got to have integrity. If you're gonna, even when nobody's looking, you got to have integrity if you're gonna keep a real score. I think caddying though, is kind of like coaching agents in a lot of ways where you're helping them along and saying, hey, this, you know, you might want this club for this shot, right? And that's, I, I would assume that that's translated so well into what you're doing because, you, I mean, that's what you're doing now is helping agents be more successful, helping them achieve more and making sure that they, they get the best score that they can get, so to speak, right? Absolutely, you hit the nail on the head. You've got so much satisfaction and passion for this business. What keeps you going at this age, being so successful? What are you most excited for in the future? And what, what keeps you getting out of bed going, man, I gotta do more? What you spoke on about helping, helping golfers around the course and helping agents around the career is, we, new agents don't know what they don't know. Just like I don't know what I don't know. And community and relationships and maybe saying, hey, you might, need, you might want this product here or you might need this lead here is the same as saying, hey, don't hit the three wood off of a bad lie downhill. Right. You don't know what's up ahead. Right. And so but what really keeps me driving is meeting new people. Right. Relationships, meeting new people wh where they're at. You know, there's people every day. I spoke to a gentleman in Oklahoma City this morning and he's coming out of the out of being an electrical engineer. And he only wants to he only wants to change careers so he can spend more time with his boys, with his family. 
eight years old, three and two. And he's like, I make great money. I'm, I'm crushing it what I do, but I have absolutely no time freedom. And I know these next five to 10 years is really all I have with my boys. Yeah. And I'm um, looking for a career change. And it's really the relationships, the people that I get to meet. You get to meet them on the phone, then you get to meet them on Zoom. And then shortly after, you know, they're producing, you get to meet them in person. And you really get to bring that story to life and get to meet them and take them to dinner. There's just nothing better than seeing someone go from a liability to themselves as an agent, as a business owner, to an asset, to a profitable asset to themselves and to their kids, their family, and ultimately them controlling their time freedom. You know, what Sean Mike has done for me in five years working with him is what I wanna be able to give back to other agents, you know, and, and help them change their lives. Well, you've had some great mentors. You've had some great caddies along the way to help you carry that bag and keep keep taking you forward and helping you pull out the right club at the right time with Grady Polson, with Sean Mike, and so many others. And I'm so excited now that you're joining the Integrity family so that we can all do this together. So, man, I'm so inspired by your story in so many different ways. And I can't wait to see how many more young people we can bring into this industry, how many more people we can serve and how, how much more we can do all together. So thanks so much for joining us, man. Thank you so much, Brian. We're honored to have you as a partner. And I hope everybody else sees this opportunity that we have in this industry to serve more people, to have this, not a profession, but a passion. And I hope that inspires you as much as it did me today. So I hope you have a great day. I hope you have a great week. Bringing on great partners like Jordan and the rest of the team is just the beginning of what we have in store. Thank you all and God bless you. Take care.